0: Appa and its programs are supported by your generosity. And your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you.
1: This is case number six, right? The world-honored one holds up a flower. At a gathering on Vulture Peak, the world-honored one... Shakyamuni Buddha held up a flower and showed it to the assembly. At that moment, everyone in the assembly was silent except Mahakasyapa, who broke into a smile. The world honored one said, I have the treasure of the true Dharma eye, the wondrous mind of Nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gate to the Dharma. The special transmission outside of scriptural teachings, not established on words and language. I now entrust it to Maha Kasyapa.
2: Maybe someone else.
3: Okay, I'll read.
2: Okay, good.
3: Woman's comment. The golden-faced Gautama behaved as if no one were capable among his assembly. Wait,
2: what are you reading?
3: Oh, you want me to read it again?
2: That's all we do, isn't it, for the first time before we sit.
3: Okay, I'll read it again. Yes. The world-honored one holds up a flower. At a gathering on Vulture Peak, the world-honored one, Shakyamuni Buddha, held up a flower and showed it to the assembly. At that moment, everyone in the assembly was silent except Maha who broke into a smile. The world-honored one said, I have the treasury of the true Dharma eye, the wondrous mind of nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gate to the Dharma, the special transmission outside of scriptural teachings not established on words and language, I now entrust it to Maha Kashyapa.
2: Okay, so we'll sit for five minutes and hopefully Peg will come in. Okay,
4: now
2: we read the koan and woman's comment.
4: Sorry, I got delayed by someone who had to go potty, who was not me. Okay, so we read the case and woman's comment, right? Right. Okay.
2: Barbara, you're first. And you're muted.
0: <laughs> World Honored One holds up a flower. At a gathering on Vulture Peak, the World Honored One, Shakyamuni Buddha, held up a flower and showed it to the assembly. At that moment, everyone in the assembly was silent except Mahakashapati. Pash- Shapata, who broke into a smile, the world honored one said, I have the treasury of the true Dharma eye, the wondrous mind of Nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gate to the Dharma, the special transmission outside of scriptural teachings, not established on words and language. I now entrust it to Mahakayapa.
2: Donna.
5: Donna yeah woman's comment the golden-faced Gautama behaved as if no one were capable among his assembly he turned the noble into the lowly and sold dog meat and advertised it as mutton proclaiming it as marvelous if the whole assembly had smiled how would the Buddha have passed on the Treasury of true Dharma I if Mahakashyapa had not smiled How would the Buddha have transmitted the treasury of the true Dharma eye? If you say that the treasury of the true Dharma eye can be transmitted, then the old golden-faced man would just be deceiving villagers. If you say that it cannot be transmitted, then why did he approve of my kashyapa? Holding up the flower, the fox's tail is already revealed. Kashyapa's smile. Humans and devas are all bewildered.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we sit for five minutes and then write for five minutes. I'll let you know when five minutes is up so you can start writing. Okay, five minutes is up. Everyone can unmute themselves.
6: Kim, I'm going to mute until I speak because I have talking doggies.
2: <laughs> Why are people laughing?
3: She has talking doggies.
2: Someone talk.
3: We're laughing because Nelda has talking
6: dogs. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna stay muted until I speak.
4: Okay. Did she eat that thing already? Did you eat that thing already? Okay. Okay.
3: Uh, uh, Do we read now? Yeah. Uh, And I guess it's my turn?
4: Yes. Okay. Starting with Guogu's comment. Oh, yeah.
3: Guogu's comment. The Buddha often gave teachings at Vulture Peak, Sanskrit something. I'm not going to go into it. (laughs) Right. In uh, Raja Raja Graha, India. Tradition has it that the Buddha gave teachings only upon request usually in the afternoon. In this case the Buddha did not say a single word. He picked a flower he picked a flower and just held it up. Everyone was silent. They did not know what to make of it except for Mahakasyapa or the great Kashyapa. The first lineage master within the Chan tradition in India 28 generations later, Bodhidharma continued the teachings, thus becoming the father of the Chan tradition in China, which maintains this wordless dharma, embodied by the Buddha's holding up a flower as its fountainhead teachings.
1: Uh, Gail, I guess? Uh, Yes, I was needed. Uh, Mahakashyapa's smile wasn't an elated laugh, but a gentle smile, the kind one might give one's close friend after an event that both have shared. It is also like the smile two lovers share across the room upon glancing at each other after having lived a lifetime together as a couple. In that moment, there is no need for words a smile would do, for only they know the life that they have shared, the challenges they have faced, and the sweetness of the union they have experienced. This is Maha smile. When he saw that, the Buddha, the golden-faced Gautama, acknowledged it with an unnecessary flamboyant performance, making a big fuss with, quote, technical expressions, such as, quote, the treasury of the true Dharma eye, the wondrous mind of nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gate to the Dharma, the special transmission outside of scriptural teachings not established on words and language, unquote. Indeed, he set up a trap for his assembly and everyone fell in.
6: You can imagine most of the people assembled there just scratching their heads asking what has just happened. Mahakasyapa, the most senior among the Buddha's closest disciples, probably sat in front. Perhaps others saw him smile. But whether they saw the smile or not, it was not the smile that the Buddha was acknowledging. It was the natural expression of Mahakasyapa's wisdom.
2: Despite Chan Master's woman's typical playful words of praise that the Buddha was selling (laughs) dog meat but advertising it as mutton or comparing him to a trickster fox who deceives others, the real question is what is it that is being transmitted? You may say, perhaps, (coughs) that it is the awakening mind that's being transmitted. And this is not good enough, because it is just an idea learned from books or other people. After all, how in the world can awakening be transmitted? If you say it cannot be transmitted, then you're wrong. Why did the Buddha approve of Mahakashapa's response then? If you say it can be transmitted, you're also wrong. You're calling the Buddha the biggest liar there is. The Buddha held up a flower and Mahakashapa smiled. Can you respond without using any gesture like holding up a flower or smiling? Can you respond without words or silence? I have a question. Um, I know we've talked about this many times about what is transmission, but I'm curious. um, It's one of those many words that that our English use of the word is very different from how it's normally used like it's not something given from one person to the other like and I'm wondering what what the original word was Do you have any idea peg
4: no but it's um I think transmission is right Um, and I think it's kind of interesting I once asked um, Roko Osho, who's a Rinzai teacher, uh, during a session. Um, and she, she uh, her practice center's in Syracuse, New York. And I said to her, because I had been, gotten ordained and I had, was curious about all this stuff that I didn't know. Um, and I said to her, so what gets transmitted? And she became completely still. And then she said, with, all the force in her entire being, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, um, it's, it's the ongoing question. What can be transmitted? What actually is transmitted? We talk about transmission warm hand to warm hand rather than through books or scriptures as in other traditions, right? And so what is that? What does that mean? I'm
2: thinking of when Buddha Mara said, "How do you know?" And then Buddha touched the earth as as a witness. So the earth was a witness, but he didn't get it from the earth.
4: No, that's right. The I've I've,
5: after all these years of reading and whatnot, um, kind of come. To the thought that it's probably more a matter of recognition than transmission.
4: Um, I I would say that's more um that's closer but um there is something that's conveyed and there's no way to explain it and it's through the ceremony which is a month-long ceremony mm-hmm. um, so there's no real way to explain it but it's not just a recognition of something there's also a process so Actually, the process that i was involved in was it was a two-year process Three-year process, yeah, yeah. So, there's a lot that unfolds in that time um, that is that goes between the transmitting teacher and the person who is being transmitted to. But it's, it's not really describable because it's unique to that pairing, you know, it's unique to that, so. Yeah. So I was um, engaged in that process together with Colin, who's the head of the San Antonio Zen center. Um, and, and his take on it was very, very different. You know, it's just his whole approach to the process, the way, the way things unfolded, you know, um, it was very different.
5: But the two of you did it together.
4: Yeah. Well, and- we didn't have the, we, the ceremony didn't happen at the same time, but all the study leading up to the ceremony did. So we were meeting with Kosha Weekly, and there's a lot of study that's involved. So, yeah. That's so interesting that you did it together and your understanding of it was seemingly different. Yeah, it's not like school where everybody learns the dates of the Crimean War, you know. It's just not like that.
6: (laughs) So, I'm trying to understand and not even trying to understand, so it's all good. so as different people were talking right now that example that was given to people to people who love each other and share something felt like transmission in that but not in that what passes is from one to another is something not necessarily how the other person re- receives it but still received and and that's what you added to the discussion peg so it's not as if someone is feeding you data and you're memorizing the multiplication tables but you you're sharing life and then the way that that is received may not have really anything to do the, with the transmission itself the um, Does that make any sense?
4: There's no real way to describe it. There's just no way to describe it. And that's why it's set up this way in this koan. You know, it just raises a lot of questions. You know, in the writing that I did, it was just full of questions. Like just the questions that arise out of this koan are are really something because when you um, study a koan, you, you inhabit each of those positions. So the position of the Buddha, having something to share, the and recognizing something, and the position of Mahakashapa, who's got this knowing, and then the position of the villagers who are like, what just happened here, you know, and and why can't I ever understand any of this stuff they're talking about or doing, um, so so the sort of baffled and bewildered villagers are part of the koan too, so. We're mostly in the baffled and bewildered villager status much of the time. But there are times when something clicks and we just get it, right? And that's like Mahakashapa. And there are other times when you're showing someone something and you see that they just get it. And you have that sense of transmission.
2: Well, in, in my mind, there's a question of whether this was a teaching that was gotten or this was an acknowledgement and there's some reference to that that he already knew and he's just like one person winking at another
4: yeah that's a good question isn't it
2: that's how i'm taking it today
4: yeah it's a, i mean to me this is part of the inquiry like what just happened here what just happened was it just an acknowledgement of something that was already true or was there some conveyance of something um, and that the uh, Buddha then recognized?
2: And why does Buddha say all that things about himself? That's interesting to me.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So this is, so. let's read on about what Guo uh, Guus thinks about it. Some people may think that gestures are more direct, more powerful, that words fall short of a demonstration of one's realization. But actually, it is the same, whether we demonstrate our understanding through gesture or words. One is no better than the other. The point remains, what is it that is being transmitted? If everyone already has it, what is the point of transmission? Is it something that only a small cluster of students like Buddha's close disciples have? Is there something special or marvelous about it? Is it something that needs to be made into a big fuss?
7: There are various translations of Treasury of the True Dharma I. Translators often misunderstand this grammatical pattern, which in this case can be interpreted in different ways, depending on the person's understanding. The confusion lies in the words true dharma, as if there were correct or incorrect, right or wrong dharma. Yet the most important point is the I, Most people see either right or wrong, correct or incorrect, which is why they don't have the Dharma eye. What they see are their own constructs, ideas, and partial perspectives of things characterized by right or wrong, profound or shallow, holy or profane, yours or mine. It is because of these attachments that they don't see the Buddha Dharma and don't have the Dharma eye perceives how things truly are, that the treasury of the true Dharma eye, the wondrous mind of Nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gate to the Dharma, the special transmission outside of scriptural teachings not established on words and language, are already transmitted, already here. This is the Buddha Dharma. To perceive that is to see the world through the Dharma eye. Dharma or Buddha Dharma has many connotations. It usually means the Buddhist teaching, but it can also refer to the law, the order, and the obligation of things. The word is usually not translated precisely because many meanings are present, especially within the context of Buddhism. Here, it simply means how things are. The Buddha was not trying to impart some knowledge or concepts. The way of a seed is to germinate. That's the way it is with seeds. But germination will depend on various conditions. The way of a tree is to grow. The way of the wind, to blow. The way of water is to moisten. The way of the earth is to support. And what is the natural way of being human? Is it what Descartes says to think? Is the true intrinsic nature of human beings to have vexations, to generate emotional afflictions like anguish, jealousy, hatred, arrogance, and to cause suffering for oneself and others? No. Our true nature is compassion, which is the function of wisdom. And wisdom is to be free from vexations. It doesn't mean having knowledge or being smart. Well, that makes me feel better.
3: <laughs> is it back to me? Yes, sir.
0: Kim, Kim did you read? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be able to see things as they are, to have the eye that perceives all, free from vexations, is to practice and realize the Dharma. That's the meaning of the treasury of the true Dharma eye. Things are in a dynamic, wondrous flow of cause, conditions, and effects. Effect turns to cause for future effects through the coming together of conditions. These three are intimately connected, ever flowing. What makes Dharma I true is to perceive without getting in the way, without filtering and processing through gaining or losing, benefit or harm. Things as they are is empty itself.
5: In Chan, we sometimes talk about a reflecting mirror. Whatever stands in front, In that instance, as it is, the mirror reflects without self-referentiality, without a fixed view of what that thing is supposed to be, without judging it. The mirror just responds by reflecting. This is the natural order of things. Everything perfectly reveals itself, instant by instant, without judgments, without labels. The natural order of your mind is to reflect like a mirror. You have the potential to do this. That's why it's called treasury. In its natural expression, how can you not smile when someone holds up a flower?
3: When I was an attendant monk to my teacher, he always picked on me the most. I was always there right next to him, flaunting my own stupidity. He used to publicly humiliate me and falsely accuse me just to see how I would respond. That was his way of presenting the treasury of the true Dharma on. Would I see it as Dharma or would I see it as wrong accusation? His humiliation and accusation is the same flower that the Buddha held up. How would you feel in those situations?
1: When you have no vested interest in something, you won't see the workings of self-referentiality. Suppose I said, You've been missing money from the donation box. You, oh, you, we've been missing money from the donation box. I saw that you were the last one to leave. Do you know where the money is? Perhaps your face would become red, even though you had nothing to do with it. But your face becoming red shows that you are caught. The self blocked is there. As soon as the self becomes threatened or praised, it manifests immediately right there as an obstacle, a block.
6: The point of practice is to be fully. my turn. Oh, I beg your pardon. The
2: point, the point of practice is to be fully human, fully Buddhist. How? The first step is to see through the veil of these processes, to gain some mastery of not following after vexations not being caught up with them. As you practice, you become more in tune with how things change and flow, how causes and conditions work dynamically, as opposed to your rigid ways. When you are more in tune with how things are flexible, then all things have possibilities. Gain may not be gain, loss may not be gain, loss, benefit may not be benefit, harm may not be benefit, there will may, not be...
4: Harm may not be harm.
2: Harm may not be harm. There will not be fixed notions of how things are.
4: No, Nelda. Okay.
6: Thank you. Um, no one would take an image reflected in a mirror as real, right? Does the mirror get caught up with images? No. Likewise, when you face suffering or painful situations, You can be with them fully and be at peace because there's no fixed notion of pain. When you face happiness, you are fully happy without trying to hold on to it. Just like there is no separation between the mirror and the image reflected in it, there is no separation with the experiences of your life. The mirror's content is precisely that moment. So when you are sad, be fully sad and be at peace. When you're happy, be happy and be at peace. If you can't, you may understand this teaching as mere intellectual knowledge, which is why you must take the practice seriously.
4: Everything and everyone, instant by instant, already possesses the treasury of the true Dharma Eye, the wondrous mind of Nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle and wondrous gaze gate to the dharma, the special transmission outside of scriptural teachings not established on words and language. What the Buddha did was merely to point out the obvious. It would be like my trying to sell you water even though you were already holding a full bottle. Please do not turn the noble into the lowly and sell dog meat and advertise it as mutton. Don't substitute your freedom for bondage.
7: You naturally have the beautiful smile of Mahakasyapa. All you have to do is smile. So when you have vexations, when you see the wrongs of others, when you start thinking, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm falling behind in my practice, and so on and so forth, smile and be at peace. Things that need to be done still must be done. In the process of practice, there is no seeking or trying to gain something, no expectations or losing something. A true, diligent practitioner never wants to engage in actions that will hurt him or herself or other people. What drives the person is not gaining and losing. Unlike most people who are driven by the self, but the recognition of compassion and wisdom within. In your heart, there should be no vexations or traces of the reflected image.
0: That said, if you still seeking after water while holding a bottle of it in your hand, are, are trying to get rid of things in your life, yet unwilling to let go of the grasping hand, then please take up this case and, and ask yourself, where is my treasury of the true
4: life? Okay then.
7: So I had the thought that maybe this I mean what it reminded me of this last these last few paragraphs was David Foster Wallace's essay, his commencement speech on this is water. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 It's it's there and we just don't see it.
4: Right.
2: I had a book um I can't find it. But a couple of years ago, by Jack Cornfield, and each chapter is a different koan, and he one chapter was on this, and I remember he paid a lot of attention to the fact that it was a flower, which we haven't read anything to except for the mention of seeds. But uh-huh. whole bit of life is embodied in this flower, and before that, I'd always thought that he could have been holding up anything, but that seemed to be very important to at least in Jack Hornfield.
4: Uh-huh. Well, it's interesting because it could have been a jewel or it could have been a cup or whatever, but um, but that it was something that simple and that fresh and that uh, impermanent. I think that's meaningful. And And something
7: that was part of the natural
4: world, too huh, and beautiful.
7: Yeah. You know, when I first started writing about this, I the first thing I wrote was, I don't, I don't get anything about this koan at all, and I don't like, it. <laughs> and I, I don't like that I don't get it, um, yeah. anything at all. I mean, nothing at all was coming to me. But then, as I wrote. I thought, well, maybe there is something because I thought about, you know, how much it pleases me, just for no reason at all, to watch a bird in the bird bath,
2: mm-hmm.
7: um, or to see a beautiful flower. Nothing mm-hmm. else is happening. It's not giving me anything. I'm not, you know. There no. Experience. And I thought, well, why? Right. Why wouldn't you smile at something?
1: Yeah interesting to me is the part where he says um you're talking about the mirror and the image and he says likewise when you face suffering or painful situations you can be with them fully and be at peace because there is no fixed notion of pain and um I think I, I think what I'm getting, you know, from that statement and kind of from the, the koan, it's the interpretation sometimes that we put on things instead of just the simple beingness of whatever's happening, you know, and that's what causes this, um, this suffering that we go through, really and um, I, I always like to be reminded of that so it's not just that we're substituting oh pain for happiness it's that we get rid of the we get rid of the notions of what pain and happiness are and just be with what's happening you know
4: and I, also what we should do about them you know we have ideas about what we should do about them yeah you know, we're happy we should appreciate it <laughs> and then we might lose it oh my god you know and we should should recognize how impermanent it is and you you know like there's a whole array of things you know not to mention when the things that that arise when we're suffering in some way you know um i yeah we've so without that apparatus that we clamp onto it there's just the experiencing itself
1: yeah and the apparatus is the sense of being a person you know actually yeah. you know, being attacked or whatever. And I remember once, Peg, years ago, um, after retreat, I had a moment of um, just being, you know, it was very quiet, uh, you know, the rest of the day after I ended the retreat at Mod, it was a three-day. Uh-huh. And I was. I think I told you I was running errands. And then I came home, and when I got home, my husband got annoyed with me and started an argument. But I was in such a quiet space that I literally – had no reaction. (laughs) I really did. It was just, I was just really still. It was just very quiet and peaceful. And then his argument died away. And I just went and fixed dinner and I had no story about it. No feeling of attack, anything. And I asked you later in um, practice discussion, I said, what was that all about? And you said, well, it didn't, it sounded as if there was no self present. Hmm. And, um, I thought, oh, is that what they're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it just kind of lit up for me. It was like, oh, this is the nirvana we're talking about. This, yeah. yeah, This release of being a self, you know. So, but,
0: yeah. Um, I wanted to follow up on that. I was, I was going another way with it. You know, the smile is a judgment. <laughs> you know, wouldn't um you know as you say, Gail, I know that I've had similar experiences, by the way. Um, uh, um um wouldn't um wouldn't the response have been no response, silence i mean he's he's a smile is is a judgment isn't it? Or are you saying that's the physical manifestation I don't, you know, of I, don't
4: think, peace? I guess I don't think of it as a judgment I think of it as a response, but it's not necessarily a judgment it's a
0: happy it's happy and i I'm it, thinking that a a more you know appropriate response would be the kind of thing that Gail just described, which is. Which is um, maybe that
4: would be your response, and maybe that would be the one that would be appropriate to you.
0: Yeah, it's there's no mind. you there. You know? Yeah, well, this is there's no Barbara, there.
4: But you're, you're what still what trying I, to I figure think. out what's right and wrong. You're still trying to figure out what's good and bad.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no, I'm
1: not. <laughs> okay. I rest yeah, <laughs> I, I go along with you peg with that in other words i didn't have any thought processes going on when when my husband was talking to me i was just i was just there and i think if i saw a flower who knows as long as my thoughts weren't going and i just had a a movement to smile that's a response it's it's not like i'm thinking oh what a terrific flower that is i think oh i I think that makes me happy. You know, it's like there's no thought. There's no thought. You know?
4: Yeah. Yeah. As As Dogen says, think non-thinking. Yeah. No.
0: So you're yeah. saying it's just a response, like a stimulus or something, or a feeling response, which comes before the judgment response of like the mind. So, so, it, so you're
4: still time. you're still in analysis mode. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. well, this is what happens when we um, play with koans, right?
0: You don't see see that as problematic, the whole thing about a smile?
4: No, I I, I don't see any of it as problematic. It's just a koan. It's not a a news report. It's a koan. So it's a teaching. There's a teaching in it. What is the teaching in it? That's the question. And the question is, uh, what happens is we begin with, our habitual ways of knowing. So if our habitual ways of knowing are analytical, then we try to analyze the koan. So that's the first thing we do, we try to figure it out. What's going on? What's happening here? Does this make sense? This doesn't make sense. And so it, in some ways it defeats our conditioned response. If, we, if we're heart-centered, then we are trying to think, uh, you know, the heart connection between the Buddha and Mahakashapa, for example. I'm trying to understand that heart connection. Um, so, I think we, uh, the way we approach a koan is a reflection, I mean, I used to um, approach all the koans exactly the same way, which is, I'm not going to be able to get this, other people may get it, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to get this, this makes no sense to me. This is this something I have to solve or figure out? Um, and And that was a, you know, a doomed approach, a really, really doomed approach, but it was it was amazing how, um, how very durable that approach was and how hard it was to relinquish it because it serves me well on other occasions, you know? So, so all, all the power of analytical thinking um, just gets absolutely no traction with a koan. So, but the, the purpose of a koan isn't to destroy your conceptual thinking. That's not what its function is. But that's what we do, you know. We have to sort of wear it out. We just wear it out. It's like, and then we throw up our hands at some point and you know give up, and then and that's when real the real work with koan begins. So, and you know people will tell you they've they, they resolve a koan like mu and they come back to it years and years and years later. You know it still has something to teach them. So these koans are uh, are really profound in their teachings and we'll keep beating our heads against them trying to figure them out. You know, what, what, this doesn't make any logical sense. And even Guogu's commentary isn't that helpful, right? It's, it's wonderful commentary, but it, it, does it give you any deeper or more profound sense of the koan? I don't know. You know, it's um, it's something that can, that's very personal and very intimate. Um, and you sit with it, and you, and you think, well, it doesn't, you know, it's not even important. I don't even have to bother with this because it's not even important, and it may not be, for you. But it's an opportunity, really, to um, to meet something you can't just um, rationalize your way through, uh, and yet it still has value. So for th- over a thousand years, these koans have have been teaching tools that have awakened people. So there must be something there. And that's what keeps bringing me back to them. It's like, there's something there, there's something there. You know, it's just like, it's just a tease in some ways, um, because you, you know that there's something there. And, uh, and the, um, the work that I've done with Kwanza has been incredibly satisfying in ways that nothing else actually is. You know, it's quite distinctive. But I think it's important to, to get frustrated. I think that's important. And nobody wants to get frustrated, but it's important to get frustrated because it means their habitual patterns for um, approaching things and understanding the world are being thwarted. And that's the only way to open up to new ways of seeing. And you know, we've got this giant koan of the pandemic we're in the middle of right now. It's just a gigantic koan. It's forcing us to think in new ways, right? It's forcing us to um, devise a alternative strategy to our customary strategies for dealing with things. So I think that's uh, our major koan at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's like what does a koan evoke in me? You know, it's like some of these koans, I look at them and I feel frustration. And then I know that I've, it's the frustration it's the frustration I need to meet, you know, kind of in an odd way, yeah, and other times I feel like this one always makes me smile, just you know picturing the scene, you know yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um you know, and then you get to kind of explore what it is that's coming up, you know you know what is it what is it bringing up in you you know
4: yeah, and i I think that's the thing you know they um They seem to be happening far away and long ago, but when you actually work with them, you begin to see, oh, this is about right now in my life, what's actually happening. Um, So it's puzzling how they have that quality when they're ancient, ancient stories. I mean, nobody's talking about the internet in these stories. Nobody's talking about traffic in these stories. And yet somehow you find yourself going, well, this is just like the situation I'm in right now in this traffic, you know? Like you find yourself, uh, it just sort of, it's like the, the koan sort of blossoms inside you somehow. Um, but to make space for it, our conditioning has to be worn down usually.
2: I have the feeling, I have the feeling that, that Buddha, didn't, I mean, just my story is Buddha did not go there looking for a person to transmit too, and if someone else had smiled, it might have meant nothing.
4: Uh, yeah, I I don't know uh, who knows, um, but you have a responsibility when you have received dharma transmission. You have a responsibility to transmit it. And at the um, at the monastery uh, in the echo, part of the echo is. Um, for those teachers who have died without a dharma heir it's considered a great tragedy so
2: yeah because Judaism yeah. not having a son what in Judaism not having a son yeah it's like that and my my stepfather couldn't have a son with my grandmother uh-huh and so then he had to divorce her and go somewhere else he went to mexico and you know, because that would be the end of him.
4: Be the end of the line, yeah. 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 So even though there are other sons that other people have had, and there will be plenty of sons. There were three, three brothers. Right. But they weren't his. It's just about your line, yeah. Had to be his blood. Yeah. yeah so, this,
6: so this discussion, and I love this because it, thank you all for sharing where you are at the moment because i I, st- I have a lot of constructs but when i came to apamada oh i just created a whole bunch more because i <laughs> i created this construct of what being a good little zen buddhist was um, And what that meant that no matter what came into my life, I was going to be at peace. I was never going to have this broad smile that I smile a lot. And I was never going to frown. And I was never going to get upset. And then one of my best friends died, as you know, Peg. Yeah. And I had uh, tried that whole night before to just be, oh, that, that construct that I had created. And, um, and I was very disappointed in myself because my construct said that was not supposed to be how the way I behaved when my friend died. And I know that there for me at the moment on my path, there is a difference between the harm that I create in a situation and the suffering because of my constructs, and suffering that is just suffering. Yeah. And that day I was suffering. Yeah. And it was okay to feel that and be at peace with feeling that. And I didn't know that because what did I do? I popped one more construct on top of things. So I guess that's my my way of saying is that, uh, my way of saying that now I sit with what comes up and ask just that question. Am I creating this suffering as a result of my constructs? Or is this just suffering that happens in life and, and, and I, I can sit with it. I can just sit with it knowing that is, that is my birthright it, by being alive. So.
4: Yeah. yeah, I think this is normal pain versus unnecessary suffering. And normal pain, um, we just experience it. We just experience it. And all that comes along with it, if we don't grieve the people that we love, that we lose, we're some kind of monster. You know, that's, that's monstrous. Um, It's not, it's not about that. It's that we know how to meet it. We know how to meet that sorrow. We know how to meet the, all the feelings that arise around it. We know how to meet it. We know how to turn toward it instead of to flee from it. So I think that's, that's such a good realization, Nelda, um, to recognize that shift. uh, Because it's not about becoming some sort of Zen zombie. Um, it's really this intimacy with all things, including our own grief and, uh, um, and the loss that we bear. I mean, in some senses, you know, life is just a string of losses. So, I mean, st- starting from being born, you know, and yet also new things arising, right? New... New things arising from the losses, out of the losses. So, so yeah, so it's really um, important, I think, to recognize and to be kind to yourself. I mean, to try and be a stoic in the middle of that kind of grief is really violent to yourself.
2: I'm hearing a lot of background noise, I think, from Peg. Oh, really? Anyone else?
4: Is it like static or what is it like? Yeah. Let me see if I um, see if it sounds the same. If I'm turning off original sound, I'm turning off original sound now. Thank you. And that's better. That's better. Perfect. I, it might be the fan in the computer.
2: I find I have to do that too.
4: Yeah. Turn off original sound.
2: What it says is turn on original sound. Right.
4: Well, what it says now is turn on original sound. Cause I just turn it off.
2: Right. Yeah. I think yeah. Stephanie was complaining about my noise. Yeah. yeah, that's better. That's great.
4: It modulates probably the fan noise in the computer that, huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, I always love this because this is actually the origin story for Zen. This is the very first transmission, the very first Zen ancestor after the Buddha is Mahakashapa. So then there are something like 28 um, successors before Bodhidharma goes to China. And Bodhidharma is, I think, the 28th or 29th. Um,
2: So is it, it it must be, um, it's a Zen story. Yes. It's kind of interesting in that sense, because it's about something that happened originally to Buddha, but then there's this big jump ahead in yours, uh, and many uh, non-Zen people wouldn't acknowledge this. as.
4: That's uh, correct. The Rinzai people don't give this story any, any confidence. You know, they just don't. it's just not in their tradition at all. But this is sort of the origin story for Zen, and it would
2: oppose it. This idea of instant—well, if there—if it is about instant enlightenment, and I don't know that it is. I mean, well, I, I always in the past I always thought that oh, he got enlightened when Buddha held up the flower, but now I I don't know that.
4: We don't know, yeah. We don't know whether he was enlightened, and the Buddha just recognized it. Right. So. Yeah, so it's it's really I think this is a really interesting koan, and it is like the origin story for for Chan, and and it's interesting because it's just this gesture, and this wordless transmission. So certainly, um, there you know, following the Buddha's lifetime, there were huge Buddhist universities that were built and libraries in India. They were vast, um, and there was a lot of. Sort of scriptural study and um, reading the sutras and uh, so this is uh, zen's origin story is um, quite distinctive
5: um, I kind of um, I guess in my my written comment, I kind of went with a um, a, a literary uh, <clears throat> trope instead of you know perhaps an insight trope. Um, can mm-hmm. I read it to y'all? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, let me. Um, the treasury of the true Dharma eye revealed by a smile, a transmission outside the scriptural teachings and not established on words and languages. 1,600 years later, Dogen reveals the Shobogenzo,
0: mm. a
5: transmission full of words and language. Mm-hmm. A Buddha showed his fox's tail. Dogen responded, Two foxes walking into the present. <laughs> I love that. But uh, you know, it's and, and you know, I I guess I maybe should go look at, you know, some of Bhikkhu Bodhi's trans translations to see I'm um, sh- surely the version in um, you know, assuming this story does show up in the uh, <clears throat> in the Nikaya somewhere. Um, or in one of the past I, I don't
4: think it does, actually.
5: Oh, really? That's interesting because I just can't believe that it would have all that business about true Dharma Eye and you know. No, so that's very
4: Mahayana, right?
5: Yeah, it is.
4: Yeah, I don't. I I would be very surprised if we could find it in the Pali Canon.
5: Well, I'll take it upon myself
4: this week to see if I can find all it. Right, that would be great if you can if you can find out whether it shows up anywhere. Um, but my understanding is that it's not there, um, that it's a later artifact. Makes
5: know. sense.
4: <laughs> yeah. In the ways that the Mahayana Sutras are, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and in,
5: parenthetically, I've started reading um, Gil Fransdell's book on uh, early bodhisattvas. Oh, is that it, good? It, it is fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, the, you know, he pretty much disposes of the idea of Mahayana uh, prior to about the maybe fifth century, and it's it's the Bodhisattva Yana, which yeah. is something really different.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I digress. Really, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, th- is that in the um, is that in the collection that has the piece by Bhikkhu Bodhi and the piece about? Mm, uh, no,
5: this is. It's his PhD thesis,
4: um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on of
5: the Bodhisattva path. It's, yeah, yeah. And it's every bit as clear as anything else he's ever written. Yeah. I guess he either got a chance to rewrite it, or um, they allowed him to be that have that level of clarity in a PhD thesis.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, his writing is so clear. Who is that? Um, Gil Franzwell.
5: The last book that we read um, on the Eightfold Path was one of his, okay. and I've just gotten totally intrigued by what he's writing and just how his, his approach is pretty different in in so many ways from some of the other people that I've read on mindfulness and the Eightfold mm-hmm. Path.
4: So well, he had he had Zen training and he has Zen Dharma transmission. He is really you know he's in both schools, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: so okay, so that's that's interesting that this story probably isn't in the original Buddha's teachings.
4: That's my um, understanding. Um, I don't, I haven't, don't know all of the Pali Canon, so I can't really vouch for that.
5: <laughs> but the miracle of the internet, I bet. It can is fine, you know. It's oh hard yeah, to find out. So yeah, it's, it's we'll quite see. possible. Yeah,
4: yeah. But it's it's interesting because you think the Buddha's job was to try and figure out how to transmit what he knew. You know, and, and various times he expressed his frustration with his capacity to be able to do that. You know, like I've seen the forest, but I can only show you a handful of leaves. He said at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and another point um, in the Lotus Sutra, he talks about how, you know, in the past I taught you in sequence and stages because that was all you could understand, but now I will tell you um, what only a Buddha and a Buddha can know. And so it was really, um, that's in the Mahayana tradition. So there's that sense of uh, that intimate uh, communication. Yeah.
2: So I. I found the book, it, it's not uh, Jack Hortfield, it's Philip Kaplow.
4: Oh, oh,
0: yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Can uh-huh. I graph about the flower? Yeah, 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 definitely.
2: The Buddha held up a flower before the assembly of monks. When you stop to think of it, there's really nothing more expressive of the purity, innocence, and all-encompassing quality of our true mind than a flower. A flower has an innate inner vitality a single-minded determination to face the sun, to grow, and finally to fully blossom, as well as to serve. Bees are given pollens, animals eat the blossoms, humans find beauty. At the same time, it does not assert itself in any way. When the time comes to wither, flowers simply drop their petals, which is the impermanence that you talked about, dry up, crumple, and are gone. The lotus flower, as has been mentioned, is itself an ancient Buddhist symbol of spiritual unfolding. The natural world and the truths of the mind reflect each other endlessly. So, so um, I've kind of held that for, for, this is when I was with my sister. I found it in a resale shop. So it's like two and a half years. And, mm-hmm. and how that changed the koan for me, you know, mm-hmm. flower like that. I really like that. Though it might have been Phil Kaplos. <laughs> you know, his story, I don't know.
4: Well, it's always your own story. You know, this is the thing about the cons. It's always your own story. You think it, you always think it's about something else. I was shocked by that, you know, by that realization
2: by what realization
4: that the koan is always about your immediate story
2: yeah that we're one of the players
4: yeah we're immersed in it it's crazy but that's that's what koan study does
2: is But that's it- also what like like this this incredible unfolding of the story about trump and the virus and so forth right now that we're we're a party to that yes i mean it, it we're a player in that story
4: that's right and yeah. and we have the role of the disbelievers or we have the role of the critics or whatever
2: ellen and i were talking i think about how you know so how can the dharma share something about that outlook that we're part of that story How how do we see it
4: yeah
1: I
2: think.
1: Kind of like mirrors. I remember once um this is again at Alpha you gave us a bunch of flowers to contemplate, and they were the same type of flower. We each got one. And then we were to look at the flower, just take some time and meditate on the flower. And at first in the basket of flowers or whatever, they all looked the same, but When you start to look at your own flower you notice that it's really more unique than you thought like even the petals are completely different from one another on one flower and and yet they're all flowers you know they're all essence flower essence you know that's kind of what um, this koan made me think of too but it's it's easy to see yourself in a flower like you know that Okay, we're all human, and we're all unique. But Trump is human and he's unique. He's, 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 he's flower too. Maybe not a very pretty flower or one that maybe is a little bit draggled, but it's the same flower. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this exactly. But um, I can tell you that uh, the things I don't like about Trump are probably the parts of myself that I really would rather not um, talk about, pay attention to, yeah.
4: So a a litmus test.
1: surely is. Yeah, I don't, um, I'm not always passing successfully every day on that one either, but. Yeah, but sometimes I, sometimes I can see uh, actually quite a bit of myself and all the things I hate about that particular person. You
4: know. Yeah, probably not to that extreme, but.
1: No, no, but I can relate to it because I've kind of been there. I've been there. You know what I mean? I've been there in a small way.
4: (laughs) You know, or
1: maybe even in a bigger way earlier in my life. You know, but um, yeah.
4: Yeah, that's one of the teachings in this moment.
6: I find with my like-minded friends that the term dependent arising is coming up a lot. <laughs> and, um, and just like the rest of us, um, the very things that, the very behaviors that are unskillful, it is easy to fall into those. Uh, um, I I was amazed that people who don't think like I do think I've drunk the Kool Aid when I think they've drunk the Kool Aid, and I, I was amazed to hear the other side or those at the other side those other individuals who don't think the way I do use the same same term and and even and even in in exploring dependent arising with my friends to to. Um, help them understand or maybe I don't, to impart that um, he's unskillful and yet who are you going to blame him his father 10 generations back 10,000 generations back us you know if you want to blame doesn't mean the harm isn't done that I'm not minimizing the harm of people's actions at all But the really curious thing to me, about me, too, is watching the very unskillful behaviors I don't like turn me into the exact same unskillful person engaging Indians the same exact unskillful behavior. Yeah, talk about a boomerang. So he's, he's quite a teacher, as you said, Peg. I am... I'm grateful for lessons. I, I just wish they didn't cause so much harm.
4: Yes, I think that's a very good aspiration is to, uh, to, but to recognize all the causes and conditions is really important. This isn't one person. This is a whole Senate. This is uh, Vladimir Putin. This is, there's a whole complex set of causes and conditions for this arising. And the fact that it's been so hard to write things, you know, um, so.
2: Wait, you mean with an R? What? To write things, R-I-G-H-T? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
4: Yeah, it's, um, there are remedies built into our government to prevent exactly this kind of thing from happening and none of them have been effective. So that's something as a nation we really have to have a conversation about. None of the safeguards in the Constitution have worked. Impeachment didn't work. Nothing has worked. That are the supposed safeguards of our democracy.
2: Do you attribute that to the, the safeguards weren't good enough? Or the people applying them didn't just I think
4: we have to have a, a national conversation about why, you know, they didn't work and what would have to happen in order to ensure that they were actually that they actually functioned the way they're supposed to function.
6: Well, one of the reasons they didn't work is they depend on honor and and they depend on uh, tradition. And for some people, those are irrelevant. And I think I heard, am I mistaken in this, that the House had passed an entire package of oh, yeah. Yeah, saying, oh, these things we've relied on is just by everyone, every presidential candidate turns over his or her tax returns. That was just a given. So I, 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 my understanding is that uh, they're trying to address those in this, they're putting a vision forward. It's not going to pass the Senate with this particular Senate, but I'm so delighted to see that they see the, the loopholes in the system. They see the holes in the dam and are trying to to remedy those. Yeah.
4: yeah. So I think, you know, this is the um, question, you know, do, where do we see the flower in this situation? You
1: know, what comes to mind to me is um, the people that framed our constitution had certain aspirations and maybe a certain state of consciousness so certain maturity. And, but as, um, you know, the years have, have gone by I think that our political system, the state of consciousness has not um, risen to that. I think it's kind of descended into, a, um, how can I say, it, a more immature place, unfortunately. And I don't know, um, but it's still all flowers. <laughs> you know, not not beautiful flowers, but it's flowers that, you know, maybe have thorns or, you know, kind of, you know, um, I I feel we can do better, but we can only do better for me. I can only do better. I can I can I can only be better as best I can or evolve the best I can.
4: Well, that's and, part um, of the story, but people can people can get paralyzed imagining that they're in, as individuals quite helpless when there's an opportunity for collective action that. Those individual efforts coming together can have way more influence and effect. So I think that's this, true. That's I think that's a really important thing for us as a nation to recognize, oh, you know, um, we have very little leverage as individuals and we have an individualistic society. We really believe, you know, like, People are despairing because they because they are afraid that they individually cannot solve climate change. And that is true. It's going to take a collective effort. And collectively, it doesn't even have to be everybody, but it needs to be a significant number of people coming together and saying, this is what we're gonna do. Um, and they need a positive vision for the future in order to do it. We're not, there's no way to attract people if you don't have a positive vision for the future. Um, just pure opposition is not not going to attract enough people. So, And that was really what Ruth Bader Ginsburg was talking about. She said, disagree, but in a way that that brings people to join you.
1: Right, and that all comes from um, your own evolution and maturity and consciousness. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're an individual and you just go over here in your corner and evolve. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's. I think that that's actually that kind of outgrowth of that uh, is what you're talking about,
4: right? But I find it really interesting that even even when we're talking about uh, koan from the Zen tradition, we end up talking about Trump. <laughs> I mean, I find this really bizarre. Every conversation seems to devolve towards that. What I think of as a conversational strange attractor, you know.
1: I think it's suffering. I think that's what we're, what we always uh, circle back to is suffering.
3: Yeah, he, he embodies that for us right now, I think. Yeah.
4: He's a super spreader for suffering, yes, no <laughs> doubt. All right, it looks like in his, um, you know, it looks like she's gonna somehow go back to the White House or whatever.
3: Yeah, so. he did. He did. He's not wearing a mask either.
4: No, no, Why why wear a mask, you know? <laughs> Why 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 give a fungible
6: oh. I mean, you know.
4: Uh, mental, mental. We're at the end of our time and I must um take this little puppy out and give her her last evening stroll and potty break. Enjoy. Yeah. 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 She she's never, you know, she, she's always in a hurry to potty and come back in when it's dark out. <laughs>
6: That is her nature. Oh Have a good evening. Be safe, everyone.
4: Yes, take care of yourselves. Follow the forms, right? Wear a mask, wash your hands, socially distance. COVID forms. (laughs) All right. Take care. See you next time.